Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road here in New Jersey. So hopefully the sound of my voice has things going well for you and that you're uh, busy, a good type of busy, and uh, you're getting out to some farm shows and some meetings and uh, some classes. <clears throat> I went out to um, to Zimmerman's uh, Case IH. I think that, well, it's Zimmerman's. I don't know if it's called Zimmerman. I think it's called actually Zimmerman's Farm Service over in Bethel, Pennsylvania. And I took uh, their class there to maintain my licensing with the state of New Jersey, DEP. <clears throat> and excuse me, so I enjoyed that and uh, was able to look around at some equipment and um, just uh, meet some people. So that was a good time, and hopefully you guys are doing the same thing. And I, well, if when this show drops, which is on Wednesday, I will be in Kentucky, God willing, at the uh, Louisville, at the uh, National Farm Machinery Show. And hopefully, God willing, I run into a number of you out there and get to uh, shake hands with you and see you. And that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. But, you know, uh, when I was going out to Zimmerman's and, and this, I, you know, this comes to my mind many, many times. But I go to Longway, so I, it's about forty miles longer. But it's all, it's all good, good riding, good driving. And uh, you know, I've come to see in life, and I've said this before, that it's not just a destination; <clears throat> it's the journey, right? That that you use to get to that destination. So I, <clears throat> boy, this is bad. My throat is coming on bad already. Excuse me. <clears throat> so excuse me. So anyway, so I go down. I go out eighty, I eighty to I eighty one, and then I go on I seventy eight. And it's amazing how when you get off of I eighty one onto I seventy eight, the topography flattens right out. But there's some pretty good grades over there in I eighty one and I eighty, and I can. I'm, I'm, oh, it never ceases to amaze me. Not just this ride. But that little Ford of mine, I mean, that thing just flattens the hills, gobbles the miles, and sips the gas. That little, it's only a 1.6 liter, which is probably about 95, 96, 97 cubic inches, depending upon, you know, how they, I never, I never did the math for the boring stroke, but they rate it as a 1.6, so it's probably just under that, about under 1,600 cc's. And so that's about 96 cubic inches. And that thing with the six-speed transmission, and it's a dual clutch. I mean, so it's not an automatic, and you drive it like an automatic, but it's a dual clutch. And it never ceases to amaze me how that little Ford just flattens those. And those are long grades. And you know, lots of times, those long grades are harder to pull than a, than a quick up and down, right? And it just pulls those long grades and, um, you know, in sixth gear and uh, just wonderful, wonderful, amazing. Like I said, gobbles the miles, flattens the hills and sips the fuel. I think I got 47.5 going there and back. It was 153 miles each way. So uh, just about 300, just under 320 miles round trip. And it was cold. I mean, it wasn't terribly cold, but it was cold out. So, uh, and you may say, what does that have to do with it? Well, you know, cold, cold air is good for the engine. The engine likes cold air. Every engine likes cold air. It likes a warm block and cold air because cold air is denser, has more oxygen in it. But you have to remember when it is cold out that the air is thicker. So if the air is thicker, there's more aerodynamic resistance of the body going through the air, and there's also more resistance of the tires. Even though if you have them inflated properly, there's more resistance of the tires or going against the pavement when the air is cold. So, you know, th so that's what I was. That's why I'm bringing that up. And um, you have to realize that in the cold, the car in in some ways is making well is making more power theoretically. But but also you have to recognize that if it takes 20 horsepower to drive the vehicle down the road to move the vehicle, that's all the engine is making. Just that your throttle angle would be less. But then when you put the resistance into it, the wind resistance, because of the denser air, is that um, you steal some of that power back. But amazing. And that little 1.6 four-valve dual overhead cam. And, uh, but what, what really, I think, gives it the gives it that performance is the variable valve timing because you know they could they move that intake cam and that exhaust cam 
uh, and it's constantly moving back and forth based upon the load and it's just amazing how that thing just pulls up those hills i mean it doesn't even doesn't even know it's there so fantastic i mean that's one good thing about the technology today is you're able to put all this into a small engine and make it pull better than a v8 did 40 years ago so fantastic and uh, let me see what else i wanted to tell you i guess that's really uh that's really about it there was something else i wanted to say and i don't remember what it was so the heck with it right oh that's what i wanted to say and to all and you know i i don't like to get political on this show but everybody kind of knows my politics just by the way i talk but i just want to say how proud i am and if you disagree with me i mean that's fine it's your prerogative that's what this country is all about and that's what you know what we have our own free will but to my canadian listeners and i don't know how you feel about it but i just want to tell you that i am so proud of the canadian farmers and truckers that are standing up for their freedom i mean it's i've watched a number of videos with that my wife and i and it just brings a tear to my eye i mean just beautiful just fantastic people not doing anything wrong just standing up for their freedom and uh just fantastic and my thoughts and prayers as with probably with so many americans or with you guys up in canada with that movement and that movement and you spark the movement that is going around the world so with that truckers convoy for freedom in ottawa and through other aspects or aspects other parts of canada and of the world so fantastic and uh and it's, it's sad that you have to do that but you're doing what needs to be done and i'll leave it at that you ready so uh that's what i wanted to tell you but today's show is going to be a little bit different once more because i want to try to uh to make it engaging for you and it's going to be all letters and it's and it's not going to be listeners letters so it's going to be readers letters and they're going to be letters that were written to me for my ask ray column in hemming's muscle machines and over the years i've been blessed to have the opportunity to do many uh write-in columns they used to, the editors used to call them tech q a so i did one in uh <clears throat> and high uh, what was called high perform no excuse me what was it called gm high performance no it was originally called gm high performance and it was called changed its name to high tech performance so that all that all focused on american fuel injected vehicles and high performance pontiac i did a column like this a tech q a write-in column i did one in uh, uh a mustang magazine i did one in a corvette magazine i did one in uh some other magazine and also for the past 22 years or so i've been doing this column called ask ray in uh, i did a mopar magazine i don't even remember anymore so and i'm saying that humbly but i did this ask ray column in hemming's muscle machines for for quite a i think since 1998 and 1999 and uh what what happened was that it wasn't called Hemmings Muscle Machines. It was called Hemmings Rods and Performance. And the Ask Ray column started there. And then when they changed and reformatted and re redid the magazine, we called it a book in the industry. And uh, they changed it to Hemmings Muscle Machines. So I write the Ask Ray column in there. And it was called Ask Ray. So I don't know how many issues there are. I think were probably 200-something of muscle machines. And then uh, probably 30 or 40 or uh 50 of the other one so it's been out there quite some time but anyway the reason why i'm telling you that you could say you could say hot rod you know most of us are farmers most of us are in agriculture we're into cars we're into stuff but what are you bringing letters to this show which is predominantly focused on an agrarian community farmers ranchers people in, in the agricultural uh, uh, industry and uh, different aspects of it when you when you're answering letters from a from a hot rod magazine you know Hemings muscle machines so it's a, for muscle cars well the reason why i'm doing that is twofold number one is i want to give you a thought process and how to evoke a thought process in your mind when you have a problem with a piece of machinery that piece of machinery could be a hay baler doesn't have to be a 69 gto like the people are writing to me but also with each letter there is a crossover to a problem with a piece of machine on the farm now granted nobody's writing to me about diesels 
because there are no diesel muscle cars. <laughs> so, uh, but there are th I have a, a letter here about an electrical problem. I have a letter here about a stalling, a hesitation problem, I believe. So that is, so I'm gonna have you cross that over in your mind. And what I'm going to do is the format I'm gonna use today is I'm gonna read each letter and I did not edit them and no disrespect, but some of them are very poorly written with run on sentences. So if I stumble, I printed them out. So if I stumble my way through reading them, I'm not drunk, all right? And uh, and and I'm gonna read them as verbatim. And then I'm also gonna say to you, okay, we could apply this to this way on the farm. And I think that you could get some value from it and hopefully you do get some value from it. So that is what we are going to do. And I think I have four or five letters here because I'm gonna go into a little bit of a lengthy explanation, but we can't do this or I can't do it. I mean, maybe you can. I can't do this without having my friend Tech Rubinowitz come on and say, because he's the hot rod man, and we're answering hot rod farm letters today. Yeah, righty, Tex. Thank you so much. So we have to have Tex in there, right? The uh, contractually, we have to have Tex. No, we don't. I mean, it's just that I, I love that song. I know that the audience does also. Okay, so I'm going to read you the first letter, and then I'm going to be able to expand upon this much more than I would writing in the magazine. So it is from Mr. Ty Tomchak in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and he's thanking me for my input. With his question, I have friends of mine in Idaho Falls, and I don't know if I have any listeners in Idaho Falls, but the Bird family, B-I-R-D, Kevin Bird, and then his uncle, Mike Bird, and there's a number of birds there, and uh, they are right in Idaho Falls. So then that's where Mr. Tomchak is from, and maybe he even knows the birds. But anyway, let me get to his question. So I have, a, I have a ZZ4 crate engine in my Nova. Now, for those that are not familiar with, General Motors came out maybe 25, 30 years ago, maybe yeah, probably 30 years ago, they came out with what's called the crate engine. And people use that, they use that, <clears throat> that term incorrectly now. The original G GM uh, originated that, and they came out with the first crate engine was called the ZZ3. And it was a brand new engine that was built by General Motors in a General Motors factory, all brand new parts. And it was a, a quasi-performance engine. I think the ZZ3 had 345 horsepower. It came, <clears throat> it had the Corvette aluminum heads on it. It was all new. It, it had a little bit of a more of an aggressive camshaft. It was a non-emission legal engine. So it was meant to come with, to be bought the carburetor on it, or you could bolt whatever you want, the fuel injection. It wasn't a replacement engine for an emission legal car. And they were great engines because they came with, they even came with oil in them because they, they I think they test fired them, but or they at least primed them, they may have test fired them. And over the years, when I had my shop, before I get back into Mr. Tom Chak's letter, I installed a lot of these ZZ, those ZZ3 crate engines because they were, I think at the time they were like $2,000 or $2,200 for a 345 horsepower engine. You'd bolt a, like a, a, a Edelbrock Performer RPM manifold on it, a carburetor on it, a Holly Edelbrock carburetor, a carburetor, whatever you want, their distributor. And they, I never had any problems. They ran fantastic. It never leaked. And plus they had a warranty. So if I put that in your Camaro or your El Camino or whatever, and you drove it from New Jersey to California and it started to leak oil or something, you could go to a a, um, a dealership in, in in Iowa and with the paperwork and say, here, if it was obviously, if it was a carburetor problem or something else, then they didn't cover that. But never had an issue when they were fantastic. And then people started to go and call everything a crate engine. But that was really not the true definition of a crate engine. And then they had other iterations of it. So the ZZ4 had, I think, a better set of cylinder heads on it and maybe a little bit more camshaft. I think they were around 430 horsepower, but don't don't hold me to it, but it was the same theory. All right, so now that I explain that to you, in case you were not familiar with it, I'll go back to his letter. So I have a ZZ4 crate engine in my Nova that was installed 11 years ago. I have to change the water pump, and I was wondering what is the best antifreeze to put back in her. 
I now have ethylene glycol as the coolant. The radiator inside looks great. You used to recommend Evans coolant. What would you use now? <clears throat> Do I need to flush the engine after I install a new water pump? What would be the right procedure? Thank you for your input. So, all right, so now let's look at this. Forget about the fact that it's a ZZ4 crate engine. So what this so and so what this gentleman is looking to do he has an old engine that's been in, in service for 11 years I do not know, I'm assuming he has changed the coolant between now and 11 years that's not 11 year old coolant and and he's and he's removing the water pump for like I assume it's leaking he doesn't say and he wants to know what is the best antifreeze to put back in his engine so you could very easily <clears throat> apply the same logic to any water-cooled liquid-cooled engine on the farm so that 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 is older now what he's talking about is th there's a company called evans up in connecticut and i used to do a lot of business with them well, i did work for them i should say and i actually wrote a book on cooling systems and they partially sponsored it it wasn't it wasn't sponsored in the way that it's a promotion for them but i did i did explain a lot about their coolant and originally they had a coolant called npg non-aqueous propylene glycol it was an excellent excellent product and uh you use no water it was straight propylene glycol that's why it says non-aqueous and what was wonderful about that coolant is that it had a higher boiling point, much higher, under no pressure. It didn't boil to 372 degrees or 374 degrees, depending upon the altitude where you were. And it had a lower surface tension. And surface tension is read in dynes, D-Y-N-E-S, per centimeter. And surface tension is the fluid's ability to move across a surface. So when I teach this, I used to like to say, well, silver paint, right? And anybody who's painted with silver paint, they'd say it's like water. Had very low surface tension. You would want to run and drip and what have you. So it had a very so it has a very low surface tension compared to regular coolant. And uh and water has a very high surface temperature tension so what is the purpose of a low surface tension it's easily it's easy <clears throat> it easily recondenses and moves away from the boiling point in the cylinder head which is called nucleate boiling every engine when it's running under load the coolant boils in the cylinder head and the whole idea is that you want it to boil that boiling process is what removes the heat from the cylinder head from the combustion chamber and around the exhaust valve and spark plug and then you want it once it once it boils you want it to recondense but with a higher boiling point of 374 degrees that it had the ability i used to teach and say it's a better sponge it's a bigger sponge because the idea of the coolant is based is is to absorb the heat from the engine so with that stated all right this gentleman maybe he has my book maybe he doesn't he knows over the years i've recommended he must have been reading me for many years the thing is that as far as i understand and the other benefit of the Evans coolant is because it has no water in it, that there is no corrosion. So the system will not have create any corrosion. If there's corrosion in it now, that's going to be there. Excuse me, but it will not create because you have to realize that traditional coolant, which is ethylene glycol or a propylene glycol mix, this is a special propylene glycol and coolant and water mixed together is that it does have some corrosion going on and that's why the coolant has anti-corrosion inhibitors in it otherwise you would have start to get corrosion so anyway to answer his question is that yes i used to always recommend the evans coolant i have the evans the original npg in my farm tractor i have it in my ranger i had it in my escort for four hundred forty-eight thousand miles i used it it was fantastic over the years now i wrote my book almost 20 years ago so i'm aging myself that evans has changed their formulation no longer is it non-aqueous propylene glycol so it is it is it is some propylene glycol mixed with an ethylene glycol and i think right now it's an ethylene glycol now keep in mind so somebody may be saying to themselves well if it's ethylene glycol i could just go buy prestone <clears throat> and <clears throat> there's whole there's many 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 different ethylene glycols so to answer mr tom Chak's question is that the evans coolant that i worked with and fell in love with and knew years ago is no longer in existence 
So does that mean that the Evans coolant of today is not good? I am not saying that whatsoever. I have no experience with it. So I don't know if it still has a 372 degree boiling point. I don't know if it has all those attributes. <coughs> Excuse me. I do know that they're still not using any water. So that by itself is an attribute. The thing is that with the Evans coolant in a situation like this, and this could have been a this could be a farm tractor, it could be a grain truck, it doesn't have to be a Nova. All right, the thing is that you have to get all of the water-based coolant out, and they sell a prep fluid for that. And you have to run the prep fluid through a number, and you may have to do it a number of times. And then you're supposed to use a, a specially calibrated refractometer that they sell to, to determine how much moisture water is still left in the block and moisture content. Because even though you drain it, even if you have block drains, you're not getting it all out. And then, then it, when it gets down to I think below five percent, it used to be that you could put the Evans coolant in. So there's a lot of a, a, a lot of effort that goes on into this. If it's what we, if it's a if it's a coolant change, if it was a brand new engine, I'm meaning a, a fresh engine, could it be a rebuilt engine, what have you? And then you were just pouring it in, to blowing out the radiator and the heater core would be a lot easier. So in this particular instance what i would say to and i would just go use a traditional green antifreeze uh, ethylene glycol base whether it's prestone xerox whatever i would stick with a name brand i would mix it 50 50 with uh with some deionized water buy some water that's already been deionized and gone through the whole process and and then what have you you don't want to use a well water or city water with the with the with the um chlorine and everything in it and i will buy the pre-mixed 50 50 antifreeze which is what i do if i'm not using an evans coolant and anything so i buy the pre-mixed because they'll put the right water in it and i would just put that back into this nova and the same thing is that if you have a older engine and older means 10 11 years old doesn't mean it's from 1974 and you were thinking about doing the same thing at this particular point i would just go with traditional coolant it's not as good as the evans original formula but i honestly don't know what the new formula does and, and it's about 50 dollars a gallon and it's a lot of work and like i say if it's a fresh engine a direct pour and it's one it's one thing but to go throughout and spend all that money on prep fluid then you have to look to get rid of the prep fluid i don't think that you're going to get intrinsically that much of a benefit from it even though on paper there is a benefit but i don't think intrinsically you're going to get much of a benefit from it through all that work so i would just go with a traditional 50 50 mix of a name brand green antifreeze and leave it at that okay next one ray i have read two articles lately on engine builds one the cleveland build and hemmings muscle machines and the other a big big block mopar and hot rod magazine both end engines were built using a flat tappet camshaft neither builds were cheap my question is why use a flat tappet camshaft instead of a roller the last engine i built with a flat tappet cam was 20 years ago plus or minus after replacing to another piece of paper here after replacing two camshafts and lifter sets i read that the modern oils lacked the high zinc and phosphates amounts that were in the older oils when i replaced the third cam and lifter i started using shell rotella diesel oil the third cam lasted approximately twenty-two thousand miles all the engines that i built after that have roller cams and lifters from what i understand the roller cam is superior and the best way to build an engine am i wasting my money by using a roller cam and his name is mr lee waddington from robinson illinois okay so how can we apply this to the farm all right getting out of the hot stepping out of the hot rod world well you could apply it to the farm because most farmers have some old have older engines and trucks or in tractors or what have you and they're still put into use everybody's got that old truck behind the barn that's still good or you may have an old tractor gasoline tractor that you use to do auger work or something and there's a lot of questions on 
you know older engines and modern oils and there's a lot of you know um, stories floating around like this gentleman has about camshafts going flat and wiping out the camshaft what have you so that so that's how you can apply it to this now there's a caveat to this the thing is that everything that mr waddington says is true all right that the it's actually called zddp it's got a big long name they abbreviate it so it's not just zinc and phosphates it's some other materials and it's it's identified as an acronym zddp and what happened is that over the years they did remove the zddp from the oil and that was because it has the potential to pollute the catalytic convert catalytic converter on a gasoline engine and when we say polluting it that means that you that does not mean plug it that means to coat the monolith that's they're all monolith converters now to coat the monolith of the precious metals that need to interact with the exhaust gas for it to have a conversion rate and it coats it and it renders the the uh, catalyst ineffective so it has it's not that it plugs it doesn't do anything it has no conversion right so it's right re- it's rendered ineffective so they did get rid of the oils many years ago a number of years ago and then a lot of he, as he says which is correct a lot of a lot of people were going with the performance engine they were going to shell rotella diesel oil because that still had the zinc and the zddp and the other components and then now as he said so everything he said is 100 percent correct but the thing that he's leaving out or the question that he's asking i should say he's not leaving it out is that why can you have let's say an old ford farm truck or old ford whatever f600 with a 429 4v sitting behind the barn and you're using it to haul grain and you put modern oil and the camshaft doesn't go flat and he's had obviously got very good with putting these camshafts and i don't remember what he said what kind of engine it was because the the best he's gotten out of one was twenty two thousand miles and now the other thing is that how does a roller camshaft come into this and for those that are not familiar there's what there's three types of tappets or valve lifters there's a flat tappet hydraulic that that means that there's no adjustment for intents and purposes there's no lash adjustment on a flat tappet cam there's a preloading adjustment which means how much the push rod is pressing down into the plunger of the lifter the valve lifter when the valve is closed so there's a preload adjustment there on versus then there is a mechanical type of cam or some people call it a solid lifter which has a an adjustment so you actually are adjusting the lash and people got confused between lash and preload on a hydraulic cam you're not setting lash you're setting preload lash is the difference that the clearance between the rocker arm the tip of the rocker arm and the tip of the valve with the valve closed so that is lash so if you say i'm setting the valves or you look in your your engine your farm practice there's 20 thousandths on the intake valve then that means that there's a 20 thousandths clearance between the rocker arm the tip of the rocker arm that contacts the valve stem and the valve stem when the valve is closed so when the valve is closed it means it's against the seat uh on the cylinder head and the lifter itself is on what's called the base circle of the cam so it's the round part of the cam lobe it's not opening the valve so that is a that is a lash or clearance adjustment so there's a there is a flat tap at hydraulic there's a solid or mechanical which has a lash and then now you go into a roller lifter and what a roller lifter does is that there's both hydraulic roller lifters that means that you set a preload not a lash not a clearance and there's mechanical or solid rollers that you have to set a lash on and what the roller does is it has a wheel a machine roller wheel a machine wheel on the bottom of the lifter and the and the and the wheel rides on the lobe of the cam whereas on a flat tappet cam be it hydraulic or mechanical if the flat surface of the lifter rides on the cam so what is the benefit of a roller lifter regardless if it's hydraulic or it's mechanical there's a few benefits the first being is that there's less friction the other thing basically is that it on a performance application it can handle the roller the wheel could handle a lot more of an aggressive ramp meaning that the valve the camshaft can be ground to open and close the valves quicker 
which is truly what you want to happen because if you're having this this round surface this flat round surface riding on a lobe it's only part of it sometimes only riding on the edge of the lobes you can't you can't have that steep of a of a ramp on the cam to open or close the valve and then as i said the friction but the other thing that comes into play which is what he empirically have fa- has found is that when you have a flat tappet camshaft that there is a lot more pressure on the the base of the the valve lifter and the lobe of the cam and oftentimes because it's riding on an angle because the lobe is a hill right either uphill or downhill uphill opening the valve closed downhill closing the valve is that what happens is that these the load on the cam is not uniform based upon where the lifter is on that polynomial curve so when i teach this i like to say that a flat tappet cam is a lot like a woman walking in high heels and when and and when she walks in high heels she's putting all the majority of her body weight on that little 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 heel right and that's why and you'll see that that heel wears out very quickly because it's taking all of her body weight she could be 100 pounds like my wife but if you were to see this the surface area of that heel that surface area is very tiny so there's a ton of i'm I'm saying using it as a as a term a ton of weight on that little area because it's not if it's not per square inch it's not an inch of heel material there whereas a roller cam is like a like a sneaker in other words or like a flat shoe where you're taking and distributing the weight over a whole area so a roller cam would be akin to let's say like tracks on a farm tractor where you're taking and you don't have that compaction so getting back to the oil what does this have to do with anything well the zddp the zinc and phosphates that this gentleman is talking about or what protected the interface between the bottom of the flat tappet lifter lifter or tappet it's used synonymously and and protected and shielded it from aggressively grinding in and wearing away the cam lobe so once you took the zddp away then you didn't have that chemical protection like teflon on a frying pan so the eggs don't stick you didn't have that chemical protection and then you would end up over time wiping out the cam lobe meaning that you would take the high points off the cam lobe and the lifter would make it round so obviously the valve is an opening or and this didn't happen overnight that you would start to lose valve lift uh, over time so that is what the zdd protected now let's go back to our old ford 429 4v in the grain truck that's sitting behind the barn and you said to me hot rod i've been using modern oil in this truck and we use it during grain harvest and we use it as a as a nurse truck for the sprayer what have you the cam never went flat or runs fine or we got an old farm tractor never went flat or runs fine right you'd be 100 percent correct so now we have to say why is this cam why are some cams going flat and others not going flat using the same oil without the zddp all right and the engine has no oiling problem what have you because it all comes down to valve spring pressure and this gentleman who wrote the letter is that he is putting a performance camshaft in it and i'm using the word performance being a more aggressive cam profile than would be stock so when you have a more aggressive cam profile so instead of let's say a stock chevy or ford engine had 65 70 pounds of valve spring pressure all right uh with the valve with the valve closed not open so not on the nose so with the with the with the spring is relaxed as it could be you'd have a performance camshaft that would maybe have 110 or 120 about double the pressure uh with the valve closed and then what happens is that because of the higher rpm potential of that camshaft in a performance application that the valve spring pressure even though it's it's doubled with the valve with the spring relatively relaxed it may go to two and a half or three times with the valve opened so and the reason why they do that is they want at high rpm you need to be able to have the valve lifter follow and stay in contact with the cam lobe so that is what's wiping out the cam so he's doing he's putting a performance camshaft in a more aggressive cam profile higher spring pressures throughout the springs operating range no zddp 
and he wipes out the cam. You with this with the old Ford truck behind the barn, the old John Deere tractor or Alice Chalmers or whatever that did had didn't have a lot of valve spring pressure at, at idle at idle at closed valve, and it didn't have a lot of valve spring pressure on the nose of the cam, meaning the valve open. So it was very very forgiving of this of not having ZDDP, and then also over the years. Uh, there is a certain, I don't want to say theory, that let's say 20 or 30 years of using ZDDP oils, years ago, this old 69 Ford truck, whatever it is, is that it actually put a slight coating of ZDDP onto the camshaft and was protecting it, even though the oil doesn't have any of that in it, that zinc modified product. So two things come into play. It's the it's the valve spring pressure and the ZDDP. So the basic rule is is that if you have a uh, if you have an engine with a, a, a and I'm gonna say stock you I don't like to use that word meaning that it doesn't have a lot of valve low, lower valve spring pressures open and closed then it's going to be very forgiving of not having ZDDP in a run from now until the good Lord comes back. You take that engine, you say, I'm going to slip a camshaft in there and put in these match set, right? They give you the springs, and now the springs have 120 pounds instead of 60 or 70, and they have 380 open instead of 190 pounds open. Now that becomes a whole different ballgame. So by having the roller, using a roller lifter on the cam, is on the, on, excuse me, on the, bot, the roller lifter, with that you are taking that and it's not the woman on the high heels anymore the lifter is rolling over the lobe it's spreading the load out and it has much less friction and the cam not only can the cam lobe be more aggressive which a hot rod guy wants but it doesn't require the zddp because you have a roll a wheel rolling on the bottom instead of trying to have this friction of a flat tappet riding up on this curve this polynomial curve which we call the lobe so he's so he's asking me why did those people build those two engines with a flat tappet camshaft instead of a roller camshaft i have no idea I mean, for some reason, they chose that grind. I don't know why. And he said there was one build in Hemmings Muscle Machines, which is what I write for. And then there's another build in Hot Rod Magazine. And he said, and your roller camshaft is more expensive. The rollers are more expensive. Sometimes you have to put a plate in the front of the block to stop the cam from walking. Because actually, on a flat tappet cam, it's ground on an angle so the cam doesn't walk out of the front of the block. So the lifter is actually holding the cam, not letting it travel. And then sometimes you have to use what's called a cam button to put pressure on it. But I mean, I have—I don't know. I mean, I—and I'm saying in respect, I have no reason why they chose to use that grind. Maybe they wanted to brag and say we made X amount of horsepower with a flat tap with cam, which is not as aggressive. Maybe they had it laying in the garage. Maybe somebody gave it to them for free. I have no idea. So the thing basically is, is that if you do run a flat tappet cam with a lot of valve spring pressure, then you have to use an oil that either has ZDDP in it or, or use a modern oil. And you could buy they could you could buy oils with ZDDP in it, but they're not emission legal for a catalytic converter equipped car. I mean, nobody's going to stand there and see what you poured in and say, "Oh my God, you poured this in! Come on, you're going off to jail." <clears throat> and uh, there are also additive products that you could put in the oil that will give it that protection. So you can definitely use a, a more aggressive flat tappet cam and not wipe it out by using the proper oil. But uh, <clears throat> that answers that, and I'm going to clear my throat. <coughs> but I don't know why those people built those engines that way. Uh, respectfully, he'd have to contact them and ask them. All righty. On to our next letter. Hello, Ray. I have a 1973 Dodge Challenger with a modified 318 engine and an A904 transmission. The problem is when I accelerate just beyond idle, I have to feather the gas pedal to keep the engine running. If I accelerate too fast, the car will actually stall. When I get past this point, it runs fine. I have had this problem since I installed the engine. Any ideas for a cure? Thank you. And this is Ken Durst and he doesn't say where he is from, and he offers the engine specs. It's got a quick fuel carburetor. That's the name of a brand. It looks like a Holley carburetor. 
uh, has an Edelbrock medium height manifold, has headers, a mild cam, so whatever that means, uh, MSD distributor. I do know that the cam duration vacuum at 900 RPM. I, oh, I do not know the cam duration at vacuum. I do not know, excuse me, the cam duration. It was all one sentence, but it should have been broken up. Vacuum at 900 RPM is 14 inches. Vacuum at 1800 RPM is 18 and a half inches. Air fuel ratio is 12 to 1. Uh, 313 horsepower, 351.2 pounds feet of torque. There is a full stream of fuel when operating the throttle by hand. So, in essence, now how does this relate to the farm? All right, well, he's got this older carbureted engine. It's a little bit modified. All right, so we we could kind of take that out of the equation for the farm. And basically, in essence, that the problem is, is when he accelerates just beyond idle, that he has to feather the gas to keep the car running. If I accelerate too fast, the car will actually stall. So basically, it's got a bog or a hesitation right off idle. After he gets to past this point, it runs fine. All right, when you have a bog or a hesitation like that, now sometimes it'll pop through the carburetor pop through the intake this he doesn't make any mention of popping through the intake then what's happening is that when you're opening the throttle like that uh <clears throat> two things well, i shouldn't say two things because i didn't count them a number of things are going on the carburetor is going to transition from the idle circuit into the main metering circuit plus the main the idle circuit is still going to be in function and then as you move the throttle a certain amount the accelerator pump is going to evoke and give it a shot of fuel because as the throttle opens the circuits in the carburetor cannot respond quickly enough because it works through a pressure differential has to lift the fuel up or push the fuel out however you want to look at it, it's a push pull actually atmospheric pressure in the float bowl pushes it so that is the hallmark of a lean condition now probably and he said that it never happened before until he put this engine in so uh i'm assuming it's the same carburetor who knows he wasn't clear about that and you know and as let me just break away from this for a second is that when when you when you're trying to diagnose something or have somebody diagnose something for you you have to give them all the information that you possibly can but so that this this is whether you're calling a vet because an animal is sick a dairy cow is sick your dog is sick you go you you have a problem with your with the emergence of your crop you're talking to your seed dealer or your agronomist you're going you're going to a doctor for yourself or you're talking to somebody about a problem with an engine or a piece of machinery or a, a boiler or a furnace or what have you a well pump is that you have to give them all the information but the thing is that you want to you cannot you, you're running the risk of of giving them information that is not pertinent so what you have to do when you're having something diagnosed or you're diagnosing it yourself don't lose the person in a whole bunch of garbage all right now usually and i picked these letters because they were not long i mean and i'm saying this all respectfully and i get this through your farm machinery digest also all right the thing is that you have to say to the person i'm going to tell you what's going on what happened and then i will give you all the data and you tell me what what you whether you want me to go down that road or not so the thing is that a good diagnostician whether it's a veterinarian or it's a medical man or a doctor or a machinery guy is going to want is going to want you to tell him everything but the things that are pertinent don't go into a whole thing about oh well you know i did this and i stopped and i you know i i i I waxed the car and i did this and i did that and then joey came over and we were talking about the new gun he got and you know so or i have this and i listen to this radio station and what have you now if you say when i put it on this put it on this radio station the car stalls that's pertinent right so you have you have to try to decipher what's going on and what's happening here is this gentleman respectfully gave me information all right gave me some good data points but i really don't know so he's saying it never did it before i put this engine in the car so is it the same carburetor he had before 
what was the other engine we have no idea so the thing is that so we're just going to forget about that it doesn't make any difference i'm going to go from here but anyway when you have a situation like that is that historically that is a lean condition and even though he says when he moves the throttle he sees gas shoot that means that the accelerator pump is is functional to a certain extent it does not mean that it's got enough of a stroke or enough of a volume to satisfy the throttle opening when he's putting the car under load and what he's able to do is what he what in the industry we call drive through it so he says when he gets past a certain point is that it's 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 much better well a couple of things come into play is that when you have an engine like this it's very easy just to blame the carburetor and blame fuel delivery and we have no data we don't have any a fuel meter number and that's fine i'm not blaming him for that all right i wouldn't be able to have any data either unless i put an air fuel meter in it but it's a balance between ignition timing and fuel delivery and fuel delivery is going to mean the mixture strength or the air fuel ratio that it creates that the carburetor creates and historically in an application like this that he has i think let me reread it so he has some have a cam in it uh a mild cam like i said i don't know what that is i mean i'm saying i don't know what that is i don't mean you know what's mild to me is not maybe not mild to you or vice versa but that's fine the thing is that historically it's a combination of he's driving through it so it's usually a combination of the carburetor not transitioning quick enough to give it additional fuel which could be that particular carburetor there are different cams that's on the carburetor to operate the accelerator pump in different holes on the rod to give the accelerator pump a more aggressive stroke a shot and also it's usually a combination of not enough ignition timing at idle right into off idle so i don't want to say that it's a hundred percent fuel because most likely it is not a hundred percent fuel it's probably 90 percent fuel 80 percent fuel and the that it doesn't have enough of ignition lead at that particular point so the, now how does this equate to you on the farm well it equates to you on the farm because you have to realize you say well i don't have a quick fuel carburetor and there's no different adjustments on this carburetor for accelerator pump right what you have to realize is that today's modern fuel and no knocking against it all right everybody likes to knock it all right i'm not knocking against it, it has a different specific gravity and a different burn rate than the fuel when an older vehicle so going back to that 79 ford 429 and f600 grain truck that old alice chalmers track that old john deere <coughs> gas <coughs> excuse me gas tractor there's timing specifications that were that are listed for when that engine was new many years ago the gasoline was different and it, it compensated for a different burn rate so the flames so the rule of thumb is that as the flame expands faster as the flame burns the fuel burns faster the engine needs less timing as it burns slower it needs more timing more advanced because remember ignition timing is always meant for the flame to keep up with the piston because the piston moves faster than the timing then the flame expands so the thing is that what you need to do is throw away that book that specification so if the if the specification set on that old engine six degrees before top dead center to set the timing at well that was six degrees with 1972 gasoline or 1964 gasoline it's not six degrees with 2022 gasoline so that engine may want 12 degrees and may want four degrees the thing basically is there's no way for you or me or anybody working on an engine to be able to truly put it to quantify and say what ignition timing does this engine want because i know that the specification no longer applies because the chemical composition of the gasoline is completely different today so how do you do it by trial and error so if it's <clears throat> so you excuse me you have it on a specification using six degrees bring it up to eight or nine see if it feels better bring it bring it down to bring it down to, 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 to four degrees see if it feels better now another thing that comes into play is that getting back to the lean is that it's very possible 
that the PCV valve that this on this engine <clears throat> is has the wrong flow rate and the long wrong response time wrong <clears throat> response which is very very common with an aftermarket PCV valve for an older engine and if you go to my website farmmachinerydigest.com go on the FMD radio tab and listen to the show <clears throat> that i did i'm just going to get a drink of water excuse me <clears throat> thank you the show that i did with emmy wagner performance about their adjustable pcv valve lots of times you will get a hesitation like this because there's nothing wrong with the carburetor there's nothing wrong with the timing all right, but the PCV valve response is too aggressive because it's the, the, every PCV valve originally was designed for the flow, the vacuum profile of that particular engine. You put a camshaft in it and you get an aftermarket PCV valve and it could cause oil leaks, it could cause a hesitation like this, what have you. And the idea that he's run, driving through it. So same thing, you have an old farm truck, right? If it has a PCV valve, not a road draft tube that's that old or from 1963 on on road vehicles they had pcv valves is that what you do is take the pcv valve out of the the vacuum line that feeds it take it out and put it on the workbench take something a bolt on something and plug the vacuum line and leave the crankcase wherever the pcv went into the valve cover the and leave it open you may have to readjust the carburetor in an older engine and then drive it and see use it whatever see how it is you can't leave it like that because you'll never ventilate the cranks the crankcase but oftentimes the pcv valve is what is causing the problem because it is the wrong flow rate and it is the wrong response time that you shake it and everything so go please even if you don't have a problem go to my website farm machinery digest and then go to FMD Radio. Look for that. Look for that about adjustable PCV valve. It's a half-hour show. I go into what I explain it, and it's something for the keeping in the back of your mind. So you have this old engine on the farm. It's a farm tractor that doesn't have a PCV valve, but you have a road vehicle or maybe an irrigation engine or something, and it's causing a problem like that. Unplug the PCV. <clears throat> you have to not just take it out of the out of the valve cover mouth. You have to take the valve out of the vacuum hose so it's no longer causing a vacuum leak because a PCV is a controlled vacuum leak. And and that may and you may have to tweak the carburetor because you adjusted it for this wrong flow rate <clears throat> and then see how it is. And that are the things that this gentleman needs to do. So there's nothing serious. All right, next one here is I have a 1967 VET with a 327. Nice car. 327 was a great motor. A lot of people used to pull them out and bring them to the junkyard because they wanted a 350. They wanted the extra, the, the 23 cubic inches. But the 327 was a better motor. The rod to stroke ratio was far superior than, than on a 350. But anyway, it was totally restored when I purchased it. However, the broker informed me the temperature gauge did not work. I got a new piece of paper and the muscle car dealership wasn't able to fix it with new wiring temp gauge and sending unit mm, everything is new it doesn't work right <clears throat> both sending unit and gauge tested good prior to installation i myself installed a second sending unit but with the same results the gauge will move one line from the coldest position when the motor is hot but no further when the 327 cools down <clears throat> it is back to the left behind the first line so it is a reading it is reading something but nowhere near an accurate temperature to the gauge i am wondering if there is a component missing in the wiring between the sending unit and the gauge or if it is a grounding issue between because of the aluminum manifold any help would be greatly appreciated <clears throat> well and his name is Mike Westeen, W-E-S-T-E-E-N. I do not know where he is from. And uh, so I would say that, now, first of all, number one, and this goes, you know, you could have a problem like this in a gas gauge or something on a farm truck, old farm truck, and it may not even, doesn't have to be a 327 with a carburetor. It could be a diesel, what have you. Is that what he really needs to do is try to 
get a wiring diagram for this. I doubt very much, <coughs> excuse me, if it's a ground issue, but if you ever in doubt with a ground issue with something like that, hook a ground wire, even if to make up an alligator clip, all right, or take a take a, 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 a jumper, your jump a jumper set, and go to the sensor or whatever is in question. However, you have to fix it, and then go to the battery negative, the battery ground. If it's a six volt system, you go to the positive, and that is going to run this massive external ground, and you're going to see what the if the, if it is a ground issue. If that wire doesn't solve that problem, it's not a ground issue. Now, also, what he's not mentioning is that in this particular instance which may not be on a farm tractor whole farm truck or what have you is that I, that i don't know whether it is a printed circuit board on the back of where this temperature gauge i can't i can't really visualize a 67 corvette dashboard but if there's a printed circuit board on the back that sends the power to the gauge you have to look at that all right because lots of times the printed circuit board will actually start to burn up what i mean burn up but it'll start to deteriorate and, and actually it'll start to burn up or start to overheat so that's something he has to look at all right the thing is that uh the other thing that's coming into play is he actually getting the proper sending unit and you know then again and the same thing happens with older farm equipment i've told the story before my older john deere lawn tractor wasn't that old by my book that anything i got for it and that's why i got rid of it i loved it i bought it new uh, fantastic it was a john deere 116 to twin cylinder briggs in it when i would get anything for it like I had gotten, I told a story before, I got a clutch that had electric PTO for the mower deck. Everything was a retrofit. Nothing yet to cut this, do this, put a resistor over here, what have you. So the thing is that it's very possible that he is getting the wrong sending unit. So the thing is that th that that is also a possibility. So how does this help his problem? Well, it, I'm not really helping his problem because he's throwing parts on and he threw a lot of parts on so through deduction if you say okay fine i change the sending unit i change the temperature I, I change everything and it still doesn't work then obviously the problem is either you're getting the wrong parts or it's not getting the right voltage or possibly does have a bad ground so i would have to, you'd have to start to look at that i don't have a magic pill for that you'd have to look and see what voltage is going to the sending unit you'd have to check the ground back from this from from this uh from the sending unit from the sending unit you'd have to uh well, well i was thinking gas gauge but not a gas gauge it's a temperature gauge but still you'd have to look you'd have to look at that let me get back to this other page and see what he said here i totally restored uh a new new wiring temperature gauge and sending unit uh the thing base is is that it's 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 a very simple system and the idea that it only gets to a certain point and doesn't want to register more i would probably say so did he have a new new wiring new temperature new sending unit? i would have to say to tell you the truth it's either got a bad ground a voltage supply issue or it's the wrong sending unit or gauge i mean uh, and i would probably say it's probably more the sending which is not uncommon and that happens with all the farm equipment and farm tractors you have a 19 whatever it may be and that's one of the issues and the, the factory parts are no longer service maintained then you go to an aftermarket supplies and here it is buddy where's your part and it looks the same and everything but inside it is not the same so i would tend to think that it's the wrong sending you what i would probably do is i would it sounds like it's a beautiful car he spent a lot of money for it what i would probably do is buy an aftermarket gauge with sending unit i'm not saying to take this beautifully restored corvette and put an auto meter gauge in there but what i would basically do is i would wire that in all right just temporarily under the hood see if that works see if that works and then i would go from there so if that works then you know that you have no problem now keep in mind that it is conceivable what i would what i would take an infrared gun and i would read the temperature by the sending unit i've seen this i'm not saying with this particular instance 
I've seen this where there was casting flash in a manifold or something, and it was acting as an insulator and blocking the coolant flow to the sending unit. And then it was only, it was, and you would say, well, if the motor's 200 degrees, it would get hot there. And you would tend to think, all right, but it didn't. So I'd make sure there's good coolant flow. I would look at those things and I would probably say if I were guessing because it's a restored car, I'd either say it has a bad ground, but historically there's not a ground that's particular for that. It would probably just be at that sending unit. And remember, a sending unit is different than an idiot light because a sending unit varies the voltage. So uh, run a, two seconds to run a ground wire from there temporarily and with a vet, you know, it's harder to get to the battery, just run it to the engine block or a farm tractor, run it to the engine block and go from there and see what's going on. And at least you know you eliminated that, but you didn't know, you cannot eliminate it whether it is the right sending unit. And what I mean by the right sending unit is that the calibration of the unit is correct. So that is that. Now we're going to have one more letter here and we're going to close it up because I'm already an hour. So now this is from Kevin Coin. Koininsky, K-O-N-I-E-C-Z-N-Y. Sounds like one of my landsmen. And he's from Denver, I guess Colorado just says Denver. And there's a Denver, Pennsylvania. So he goes, hi, Ray, love your column. And it's the first thing I turn to. I have a 1969 Chevelle with a 396 with a Rochester carburetor. Had lots of trouble with fuel evaporating during the summer hot months. After a spin... <coughs> after a spin on uh, after a spin on a hot day after engine shut off you could sometimes hear the fuel gurgling like a coffee pot <clears throat> it had an electric fuel pump in the rear up to a mechanical pump but as you pointed out it can't pump past the mechanical i disabled the mechanical and just used the electrical pump and the problem was solved i think this gentleman may have written to me once before and i gave him that device or i think i gave that advice to another reader and he followed it you have to remember that if you're feeding trying to feed a mechanical pump with an electric pump if if yeah they they, they do that on some diesels right they may have electric it's 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 not you have to know all the flow characteristics it's not just one size fits all and throw it on there so i'm glad i helped them with that my question is that when, that i've used starting fluid ethyl ether in the past with success are there any pros or cons of starting fluid versus carburetor cleaner thanks for everything what he's talking about is i often recommend to people it's not uncommon with these older muscle cars these collector cars that you have to remember that today's gasoline is not meant to be in an open fuel system. It's an open fuel system on a lawnmower and a lawn tractor, what have you. All right, but lots of times it, it leaks out, uh, it evaporates out of the fuel bowl. These people don't use the cars as often, what have you. So anyway, so I've told people if the car runs fine or the engine runs fine, this could be an old, then again, an old tractor, an old farm truck or be a lawn tractor. I know I have a, a couple of listeners with lawn tractors that rode and i told them give it a shot of carburetor cleaner and she'll start right up and then the, the engine will be running then the fuel pump will supply the carburetor and everything will be good so he's asking me what is is there a pro and con to starting fluid versus car cleaner yes there is ethyl ether the ignition point of ethyl ether is almost like nitromethane it's like boom it doesn't burn it explodes it's it's very violent and it's starting fluid is very very hard on any engine gasoline or diesel and you want to try to avoid if you can using starting fluid so carburetor cleaner is a lot a lot easier on the engine it'll start like it's on gas it's safe it keeps your carburetor clean all right it's not you could just shoot a little bit in there and get it to light off so that is so to answer his question i would much rather use carburetor cleaner on a gasoline engine than any starting fluid do that it's a, what i would call a soft start or a gentle start combustion event versus the violent event that that an ether some sort of starting fluid uh, causes now keep in mind if it's 40 below zero the starting fluid will be able to ignite where carburetor cleaner would not 
But in this particular instance, and in most instances, that is not going to be the case. So you're always better off on a gasoline engine, spraying a little carburetor cleaner in there, then instead of starting fluid. And you, know, you could put it in through the intake, what have you, and just get like that, and you'd be surprised how it will start right up. It may die because it started on that until it fills the carburetor ball up. But that is what his story is, and I'm glad I was able to help him with his fuel pump fuel starvation issue and with the electric pump feeding a mechanical pump so hopefully <clears throat> this is a little bit of a different show today hopefully you enjoyed it and like i said you know none of these things even though they were written to me from a car magazine hopefully i did a, a good enough job to explain to you that these are case studies that could be applied to anything it doesn't have to be a 396 chevelle or a mustang it could be a gasoline engine a farm truck an old farm tractor uh, or whatever it doesn't make any difference or even a newer engine it doesn't make any difference because the dynamics of the physics there is no different physics that have a that the physics doesn't operate differently in a drag race engine than it does in a farm tractor or a grain truck or an irrigation pump so the whole idea is for you to identify the physics take that away from take take the other aspect in most instances away from that situation and uh look at it and like i say the dynamics of a cylinder filling the dynamics of an alternator working or temperature gauge working that temperature gauge doesn't know whether it's in a 67 327 corvette or whether it's in a in, in an almas chalmers track that has no idea what it's reading so hopefully you enjoyed this and next week we will get back to a uh to a regular format and i just want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher in my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and go freedom truckers around the world and freedom farmers let's get our freedom back bye bye